Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. of the show before the show podcast the official podcast of minor league baseball as we've arrived at our final episode of 2022 right we're not doing one next week right we're not doing one next week no <laughs> it's our mid-show show prep my name is Tyler Mon. Sam Dykstra is in New York City at MLB headquarters hello Sam hello I am in the Edgar Martinez room ah, currently Hall of Fame uh, which means I'm not allowed to bring a glove in here Right. Uh, only a bat. Only a bat and a microphone. Yep. But uh, yeah, no, it's uh, it's exciting that, you know, we're, the holidays are coming up. Um, Tyler, I know you're on the road right now. You're in Oregon. I am. Right I'm in Corvallis, Oregon, home of the uh, fantastic Oregon State baseball program, uh, which I am not covering while I'm out here. But, um, you know, it's a, a three time national championship team i plan on walking by their facility later today i actually know a guy uh who some of you have probably already heard of and a lot more of you will be hearing of when he becomes a draft pick but travis bazana who is uh, a middle infielder for for oregon state uh i know travis and uh was hoping that he was still going to be out here so i could get a little tour of this oregon state baseball facility he's already back home uh, in Australia for the holidays, so I'm just gonna like wander around and like look into fences and stuff. Like, hey, what's going on out here at this uh, this Oregon State program? But yeah, we uh, you know we've had a few beeves on the show before the show in the past. I walked by uh, Adley Rutschman's uh, All American plaque that they have uh, in Gill Coliseum here, where they honor all of the uh, the All American selections. Um, among all their sports and yeah it's this place is awesome this is my first time to Corvallis but uh I'm excited to, to go check out the the baseball stuff later today before yeah I guess it's, it's still kind of early baseball. yeah but I'm I'm surprised they haven't officially deemed it like the Adley Rutschman bullpen or yeah like right the Adley Rutschman backstop or something I haven't like seen like a statue of him yet and yeah again, granted I haven't walked around a lot but you know I'm I'm hoping that there will be multiple statues at least give it time yeah, yeah, absolutely. After his uh, second MVP award for the, <laughs> the Orioles, maybe that's when. <laughs> Two-time All-American. I mean, 
man, that dude's body of work is crazy. And nothing that he is more proud of than his time as a guest on the show before the show podcast. Um, so we welcome you into this week's episode as we uh, get set to wrap up calendar year 2022. Uh, we got a fun conversation with New York Mets prospect, the 12th ranked prospect in the Mets organization, Dominic Hamill, who will join the show coming up here in a little bit. Uh, Dom told us that he'll get the question from people who don't really know baseball that well. Have you ever heard of Cole Hamels? And Dom's last name is Hamill without an S. And he says, uh, yeah, he's my second cousin. That's why he has the S on the end, and I don't. Uh, but Dom will join us coming up here in a little bit. Fun conversation with Dominic Hamill. So Mets fans, uh, you can get excited about that. As if you needed more to get excited about today, the baseball world went to sleep last night hearing, wow, this Carlos Correa to the Giants thing seems to be falling through. And then woke up this morning, Carlos Correa is now a New York Met, which is uh, more than a little insane. That's kind of been the, the theme of 2022 baseball-wise as we're going to take a, a look back at this calendar year 2022. Uh, fun time to be a Mets fan, at least over the offseason. It wasn't at the end of the 2022 uh, postseason, but, you know, they just keep they keep adding on. It's, it's amazing what happens when you've got an owner who just really wants to win and wants to spend that money to do so. Yeah, I mean, the Mets are objectively better now. Like, that's what every organization should strive to be at the end of an offseason. Like, there's somehow debate over, is this ruining baseball or are the Mets trying to buy a championship? They're trying to win a championship. And you go do that by getting better players. Carlos Correa, arguably the best shortstop on the market, and now he's going to play third base for them? That's fascinating. I mean, we talked in a previous show about, like, what does Carlos Correa mean for the Giants and, and Marco Luciano? Now all of a sudden we're having that conversation about Brett Beatty and, and the Mets. And the Mets are glad to have that conversation. I mean, one thing they've done that I don't think has really been highlighted enough by all this is that they are spending money. They are not trading prospects. We, we'll talk about this with Dom Hamill. Though, like It could happen at any time. They could explore the trade market and whatever. Um, but it was not overly special farm system beforehand and steve cohen has talked about we need to rebuild it trades don't rebuild it they deplete it so now you're going out and spending money to get guys and you're keeping your prospects around at the same time francisco alvarez i mean i know their catching position is very confusing right now between james mccann tomas nito Navarez, who they just signed now alvarez is basically a major league ready guy too how are they going to sort that out good problem to have brett Beatty, third baseman Played some left field in the past. I think he's played 29 games in left field in the, over the last two seasons, so he knows the position. Carlos Gray is going to be at third base. Guess what, Brett Beatty? You are bringing an outfield glove to spring training and Port St. Lucie. Also not a, bo- a bad problem to have. So the Mets are in a much better place now, certainly than they were at the end of uh, the postseason, but even over the last 24 hours, getting Carlos Correa in that lineup. Um, and then either he or Pete Alonso have to bat fifth that's crazy. Like it's 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 such a deeper lineup now. Um, good on the Mets for for going out and getting Correa after those issues. Now all of this we have to say, pending physical. Yes, that is something that we but do have to. Uh, the Mets have not announced this. They have not confirmed sure that the signing happened. Yeah, yeah. Just like the Giants before them had not confirmed this, they had announced a press conference that right. then got canceled because of reportedly issues with the physical. Um, so you know. Maybe something else blows up here. I doubt it. I don't think the Mets yeah, work this out. You, if they, I don't think you make the move unless you are very certain that everything is going to go fine uh, right. physically to bring him into the organization. But uh, I did see a tweet uh, from somebody who said, uh, 
The, the Giants had Aaron Judge for seven minutes and Carlos Correa for six days. Uh, it has been a weird offseason for, for the Giants. They still might sign Arson Judge. Um, they could. That's they still could. A, that's, that's a, a distinct possibility. Um, but I haven't figured out a, a fire-related pun for Carlos Correa yet. Uh, so, fun time to be a Mets fan. And uh, that's essentially how 2022 – well, I can't say that's how 2022 will close because we've had a lot of wild things that have happened in baseball in 2022, and we still got 10 more days. Um, but, Sam, when we look back on, on the minor league landscape, the prospect landscape in 2022, what are the things that you will take away from this year? What were the biggest uh, themes – the the prospect graduations, the way the prospects factored into to major league pushes, the continued growth of guys through the minor league chains, rule changes that obviously are now going to be implemented at the major league level that we've seen at the minor league level. I think that's a big theme that we'll take out of 2022. But when you look back on this year, what will this year be defined as on the, the prospect side? Yeah, I mean, I think you hit on a lot of the major points there, so I'll just expand on them a little bit. Uh, when we started the year, we thought about the big three, right? Like there were three guys who had separated themselves from the pack in Bobby Witt Jr., Adley Rutschman, and Julio Rodriguez as being the top three prospects in baseball. And we said at the time, like, there's an argument to be made. You could jumble these guys however you want them. Uh, and as the season went on, those three guys kind of came through. Now, I know Bobby Witt Jr. did not have the special season that a lot of people were hoping for, but he still showed off good power. He still showed off really good speed. Um, you know, he's going to be a cornerstone of Kansas City for a long time. Meanwhile, Julio Rodriguez actually added speed. Now he's a legit plus runner, is a star center fielder for the Mariners who made the playoffs for the first time in a long time. And Adley Rutschman is exactly who everybody thought he would be. He might be like the second best catcher in baseball now. So those guys graduated. Like those guys lived up to the hype, which was amazing uh, to see. But now where we sit today I think when you look at the top 100, it's much more wide open, which can be fun in some in some ways because now there's like actual debate. Like we have Francisco Alvarez right now. When we update the list, it could be Gunnar Henderson. It could be Corbin Carroll. You know, we're going to reach out to some folks and, and see how things kind of move around. Um, but there isn't this real set of guys who just are separated from the pack. There's a much more lively, livelier debate. And I think that's good. I think that's good for baseball. If we are getting back to a point where it's not just, Oh, there's this guy. And you know, once he graduates, we're done. It's like, no, there's, uh, there's going to be more movement here. We saw guys like Jackson Churio become somebody who, if you wanted to, you can make the case. He's in, in the argument for number one overall. I don't think he's there yet. Some hit tool questions, whatever, but he's, knocking on the door in a really fun way. Anthony Volpe built on his breakout season last year to show that he is that good and is somebody that the Yankees should be planning around. Uh, Jordan Walker, top six prospect in baseball now, moved to the outfield at the end of the year, showed a really strong arm. Some of these guys are exactly who we thought they were, and some of these guys are breaking out in, in special ways. And getting back to that, and we'll talk to Ben about this in a little bit, so much of this year was defined by a feeling more of normalcy of like just getting a minor league season in without concerns. I know beginning of the year, obviously we were, we were worried about a work stoppage, but that wasn't going to affect the minor leagues. Um, but 2021, it was like, what are these guys going to be after the lost 2020 season? What did, you know, are the guys who were at the alt site ahead of those who weren't, what does all this stuff mean? There were a lot more breakouts in 2021, just because we hadn't seen the, those guys in two years. Now they I were just building want to on. Jump something. in real quick and say the mere yeah, yeah. mention of the term alt site 
just put like a chill down my spine. Right. I'm so fine with never having to talk about alt sites ever again. Uh, now that the, uh, the, the baseball landscape, the sports landscape ever turned to, uh, to some normalcy, but man, yeah, that pandemic year, no minor league season, delayed start to the minor league season in 2021. The, uh, limits to crowd sizes uh the the travel pods essentially like man i am it just like puts you back in that frame of mind of so much uncertainty not just obviously with sports and and with the the baseball landscape and all that but just how life felt around that time not that we're out of the pandemic uh by any stretch but uh yeah i'm very good to not be thinking about uh, alternate sites and uh taxi squads and all that yeah, and it's not like we've also jumped right back into 2019 feeling either, right? Like right. The right. slimming down of the minor leagues means it's a little weird when guys jump from the complex league straight to low A or single A um, because that's a bigger jump than ever. There isn't the Appy League in between. There's not the Pioneer League in between. There's not New York Penn League, whatever. Um, so th- that's still taking some getting used to. So when I look at, forward to 2023, it's like everything's really settled in at this point. Um, but 2022 was as close to normal as possible. And when I say like there were more breakouts in 2021, there were still some really good ones. I mentioned Churio, obviously. Um, but you look at some other guys like Ellie De La Cruz. If you cover prospects at all, he's a household name. Like it's it's really incredible. The year he had this year was darn near historic. Uh, when you look at the numbers he almost put up. I mean, he put up really good numbers, obviously, but like we were talking about him as being a potential 30-40 guy, and he fell two homers short of that. Uh I love debating Ellie De La Cruz, but now that's something we were not doing a year ago. So breakouts still happen. Um, but yeah, in terms of like rules changes, Tyler, how do you feel like that affected things this year? Because we saw the expansion of ABS yep. uh, in the Florida State League. There was more of that. We saw it in Charlotte for a while. We saw it in the Pacific Coast League. We saw challenges come. How do you feel like this season of minor league baseball could kind of define what baseball is moving forward. Yeah, that's what's so interesting is that this is not just, you know, for for so long we saw the Arizona Fall League as the testing ground for potential rules changes um, when it came to the big leagues because the AFL being an MLB owned and controlled property, they could sort of implement those things um, without having to go through some of the hoops that the previous arrangement with minor league baseball when it was its own uh, independent structure uh, that they would have had to do for rules changes there. Now, following the restructure that take over minor league baseball by major league baseball, these things become implemented uh, much more widely, much more across the board. And what's interesting is I think we are seeing, uh, and I sort of like this from major league baseball standpoint, we're seeing an openness to all possibilities of how to improve the game, how to change the game, how to make things different, how to make things better. Uh, I Personally, don't love all of the rule changes, but I do like the fact that there is some mobility uh, with Major League Baseball's focus on making the game better. It's not just this monolithic thing of like, well, this is the game that we've always known. It's the way the game will always be. And that is infallible and unchangeable. I like the fact that there is some uh, nimbleness to this from Major League Baseball's standpoint in implementing some new rules, implementing some different looks to the game bringing those through the minors and into the major leagues. Uh, now, that being said, you know, I think there are some things that it'll be fascinating to watch 
how they really do affect play at the major league level. You know, thinking about the pie slice rule, the the shift changes, um, all those types of things that uh, for the last several years we've been hearing, those are the changes that need to be implemented. Well, now they're there. How much does that change the way the big league game is played? Um, one thing that I'm most excited to see, honestly, is, and this is kind of a, a, a cliche, um, you know, the baseball that I liked when I was a kid, I want to see some of that return in the landscape of stolen bases. Uh, we saw a gigantic spike in stolen bases this year across the minor leagues as the larger bases were put in. Um, and you think to yourself, like, well, how much is a, a three square inch change on the bases really going to make a difference? Think of every bang, bang stolen base that you've ever seen between first and second or second and third and whatever. A runner is now six inches closer to the bag than he was when you saw those bang, bang plays, you know, five, 10, 20 years ago, because the bases have been increased by three square inches, um, you know, at every stop. And so, that to me changes the dynamic of the game completely. And the fact that we saw, you know, I've referenced this stat a couple of times, but back in August, I think we already had a dozen players or something like that in minor league baseball who were over 50 stolen bases. And that was something that hadn't happened in a decade. Um, so I like that. This and really, uh, we should say pickoff rules obviously yes, affect that yes. as well. And pickoff rules the same way uh, yeah. with the, the limit to the amount of times you can throw over. And um, that element being inserted back into the game, I think will provide a lot of excitement. Um, but yeah, this is really the the first stage in which minor league baseball becomes not only a proving ground for players, but also a testing ground for what is the next generation of major league baseball going to look like. And that's a huge step. That's a, a huge um, landmark moment in the continued history of minor league baseball things are very different now with the operation of minor league baseball versus what they have been for the last you know 120 years or so um but they are you know this is the the way that the game is going to be from now on and uh i'm very interested to see how that makes itself present in the big league game going forward yeah i mean that it's fascinating to think about things becoming like the proving ground, but also the adaptability of this stuff where I feel like a couple of years ago when robot umpires were coming to the Florida state league and obviously to the AFL as well, there was just this feeling of inevitability that, you know, the ABS system was going to be the future of baseball and it was going to be every pitch call. And it's just how things were going to go. And now things evolved to have the challenge system. And a lot of people I talk to is like, this is the perfect hybrid. It it doesn't slow the game down. It's not like we're going back to the to the phone booth, you know, calling New York. They're going to tell us ball or strike. It's instantaneous. You pat your head. You challenge the call. Yeah. It's the pitcher, the batter, the catcher. That's it. It's not like the right fielder can come charging in. It's like, I think it was a strike from my viewpoint. It moves the game quicker, but it also keeps the game honest. And you have a limit on challenges. If you're correct, you get it back, whatever. Um, and it, that, that wouldn't have happened if we had just assumed like ABS is perfect. We did one year of it. It's good. That's it. Let's move it to the majors. Like it, some of this stuff is going to be hammered out. Now, it, sometimes it's going to affect prospect development and player development. And that's when I get concerned is like, if the pitch clock is too short, if they extend the mound, which has happened in the Atlantic league, like if guys are throwing too hard, that that causes injuries that affects guys careers then i get a little worried but when it's something like you're talking about with pickoff attempts 
and all of a sudden encouraging more action on the base pass. Hey, that's fun to watch. That's good. Like that, that allows some of the speed of your guys to have more value. And I think, you know, we talked about this with the ace trade uh, a while back. Like, obviously they see something in Asturi Ruiz that thinks he could probably be more valuable in the future versions of baseball that are going to be played at the top level than anybody else is seeing. It's because he's an elite runner. He led the minors in, in steals last year. Um, but all of a sudden those guys are a little bit more valuable and that means we have to evaluate them differently. Um, so it, it, it's a wheel that keeps turning. It's not going to stop turning. I don't think we're ever going to get to a version of the game where like, this is what it is. Um, to draw a quick comparison, I've been reading this book about soccer tactics called inverting the pyramid and in the very beginning. It's funny just thinking about like soccer was invented in the, in the 19th century. It's not that long ago. It's not something that was played in England in the 1100s or something. So it's a made up game, but they were talking about the English version of the game and the Scottish version. And in those early days, guess what the Scottish version did. They invented passing. Ha! Huh. You know what? I, which I only say that to be like, games are always evolving. You think like, right. I have this game now. It, right. Here's what it is. I'm not saying 2023 baseball is the same as 1870 soccer, but you know, like, all of these things are made up by humans and they're going to evolve. They're going to change. I like that. We get to see them in the minor leagues. And so that by the time a lot of these guys make the majors and these rules are hard and fast, they've experienced them yeah. first. I think that's a big detail. Hey man, there was not a three point shot in college basketball 40 years ago. You know what I mean? Like there wasn't a shot clock. Yeah. Uh, the NFL the Princeton offense. You know, Teams were teams were not um, spreading out five wide receivers on every single pass uh, 15 years ago. You know, there were teams running the I formation constantly. Uh, it's just, sports are constantly evolving. And one of the things that we both and I know probably everybody listening to the show loves about baseball is its commitment to its history and its identity. But baseball's constantly evolving as well. You know, and that's one of the things that I think instead of if I had to nail down my thesis on sports and especially on baseball in the 21st century, baseball needs to be more embracing of the excitement of its future rather than clinging to the identity of its past because sports are constantly evolving and the evolution of sports is a good thing. It is a fun thing. It is an exciting thing. Baseball going forward, it's not going to be worse than baseball was in the past. It might be different, but it's certainly not going to be worse. You cannot look at the talent that is currently playing major league and minor league baseball and think to yourself, ah, we were better off 40 years ago. No, that's not the case. Uh, it's It could be a different looking game. That certainly does not mean that it is a worse game. And you know what? 40 years ago, people were complaining that baseball was different than it was 40 years before that. Uh, it's just the same. It, everything in sports is cyclical. And if you know, this is from the from uh, a lot of different stages across the sports landscape. You know, one thing that drives me insane, baseball uh, national commentary being focused on, well, in my day, things were different, things were better. No, they weren't. You don't flip on, you know, uh, a telecast uh, to watch an NBA game or an NFL game and hear major color analysts talking about how bad things are today compared to when they played. Tony Romo doesn't do that. Robert Griffin III doesn't do that. Uh, you know, it's it's a very different and certainly weirdly clickish world in baseball in that. Um, but I think if you're somebody who listens to this show, you probably recognize there's a lot of really cool stuff coming in baseball. There's a lot of really cool stuff that's already at the big league level in baseball. Um, 
And the fact that that comes through the minor leagues is something that we're really proud of and we're really excited about on a regular basis. Embrace that. That's what's cool about sports, man. The evolution of sports is what is coolest about sports to me. Uh, And taking on these new things that have been developed, have been implemented, have evolved in the minor leagues and applying them to the big league level, that's exciting. I think that's really, really cool. And it's something that, you know, if you're going out to, uh, you know, an Akron Rubber Ducks game, or uh, to a Eugene Emeralds game, and you're seeing these rules implemented in 2022, you're seeing that before they're seeing them in Cleveland or in San Francisco or in wherever. That's something neat, and it's something unique to baseball. And I love that. Uh, and the the wave of the future is something that you should be excited to catch, not something that you should be afraid of. Right. Yeah, and I think that's one of the big things, too, is like one of the – you were talking about like the future of the game is better than the past of the game. Think about how many people are throwing hundred miles an hour. Now. Right. Like how many people are throwing 95, right? Compared 95 used to be like flame emojis. Like yes. you believe this guy's throwing 95. Now 95 is closer than ever to being the average fastball. Yeah. It's, it's still, insane. it's still above average. Don't get me wrong, but like, it's still, it, it's, it's crazy. And we have, you know, go back to Ellie De La Cruz hitting 460 foot home runs right, on a weekly basis. Like this is, it's insane. Um, and all of these things, not all of these changes, but a lot of these changes are made to put the talents back in the center square, right. to put like the focus right. back on, Hey, these guys do things really well. Let's make sure they're in a place to do them really well often. Um, so even with a pitch clock, you know, Daniel Espino has really good pitchers. Let's make sure he's throwing them as much as possible. Like we can keep the game moving and keep the focus on what he's doing and not the space in between. Um, Guys who are running, you know, guys like Asturi Ruiz or Jackson Turio or whatever. Like, let's get them putting balls in play and then running around the park. Like that, that, that's where this all comes down to is that this next generation is super exciting. And whatever we can do to get their skills on display the most is where the future of the game should be. So hopefully all of this is moving towards that. Um, but yeah, this is just making me more excited for 2023. All of a sudden, I was just like, I've been talking about 2022 for so long. I want to see what Jackson Churio does next and Ellie David Cruz does next. And you know what I'm excited about, and that's the World Baseball Classic, which is coming back. Also true, yeah. Well, uh, so we got a ton of good stuff to look forward to in 2023. Um, All right, Sam, let's tee it up. What do we got interview-wise this week? Tell us about uh, the young dude, the uh, flamethrowing right-hander for the New York Mets organization, Dom Hamill, who joins us. Yeah, Dom Hamill, we get him at a very interesting time, obviously, because it's good to have anybody from the Mets on your podcast this week. Um, We did not schedule this knowing that Carlos Correa was going to get signed, but we touch on that a little bit here. Uh, But Dominic Hamill, we call him Dom in the interview. That's what he prefers. His player page says Dominic. Just want to clear that up real quick. Number 12 prospect in the Mets organization was their minor league pitcher of the year this year after posting a 3-2-5 ERA and striking out 145 batters in 119 innings at single A and high A, finishing out the year in Brooklyn. Um, somebody who was draft eligible many, many times before he went in the third round. Five times. Five times. He was draft was eligible, which I yeah. honestly had not even realized was possible. Five you know, times. It also makes him sound like he's 27. Right. He's 23. He's 23. Yeah. Insane. He was just between the pandemic year, between a few years in Juco, between high school. Yeah. Like he was draft eligible for a while. Um, but he has two pitches that are really, really good in his fastball and his slider. Um, because of the spin rate, we're going to get into that with him. I'm going to finish previewing this interview now. Here's us talking to Dom Hamill.
Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. We are excited on this week's episode of the show before the show podcast to go to the New York Mets organization, which when we booked this interview, uh, had one major league looking roster. And then overnight from last night to tonight, Mm -hmm. that's a completely different major league looking roster. And we are joined by Dom Hamill, the 12th ring prospect in the Mets organization. I would imagine it's, uh, a little crazy waking up in the Mets system today and realizing, oh, we got Carlos Correa overnight last night. What happened there? How are you, Dom? I'm doing well, man. I, I woke up just as, you know, <laughs> just shook, really. I mean, because it was crazy how fast that happens. And, you know, I've gone through my first year and I've seen you now trades and, like, how, how how quick that all gets moving. But, yeah, just seeing the physical with the Giants to him signing this morning to a big old deal like that, like, that's absurd. It awesome. is a, uh, an exciting <laughs> time to be a Met, to be a Mets prospect, Absolutely. to be a Mets fan. Um, and Dom, you are now, you know, fully into uh, being a, a pro ball player and somebody who was drafted in the third round in 2021, but you got a full season under your belt uh, in 2022. Last year, you know, we're coming out of the pandemic. You're going into the draft. You get picked by a team, make a couple of appearances. That first year, especially in your draft season, is always different. To have gone through 2022, have the full process of an offseason, spring training, getting into full season work, and now be into your second offseason. What has this calendar year been like for you being a full-fledged pro ball player? Yeah, it's definitely been nice. I kind of got that that gauge of, you know, how the season is. And, you know, when you're playing through it, it's always different. You know, when I came in, I was like, all right, I'm 100, about 120 games on paper. Like, let's dug it out. But, you know, as the season goes on, I was seeing where, like, the Super Regionals that just ended for college. And I'm like, wow, we still have so much season to go. But, um, yeah, no, I was around a lot of great guys. So, I mean, just asking questions, you know, they're able to, talk about, you know, their work routines and, you know, how they, how they ration themselves pretty much their bodies throughout the year. And uh, yeah, so right now I'm back out here in Florida. I'm training for the off season, but um, I'm training with some major leaguers right now. So same thing. I'm able to ask them about, you know, how they work through the year and, you know, what, what, what it's like on their bodies and that type of, that type of stuff. And they've been really helpful. So, I mean, I feel like I got a pretty good grasp of it now, obviously I'm, as I move up, I'm still going to be playing some more games on top of that. But, um, yeah, I feel a lot more comfortable getting that first year out of the way. I was a little anxious to get going, but we're feeling good right now. Yeah, and, and speaking of that off-season work, first, do you want to drop the names of who, who are you working out with or major leaguers? <laughs> uh, I'm up at um, Fisher right now, but, I mean, there's guys like Pat Murphy, um, Cole Tucker, Greg Allen. Um, 
just handful of the guys from all over different teams. But like like I was talking about with uh, before with Arizona, there's so many guys that like to come to Arizona for their offseason training because it's great weather, great area, and the facilities out there. You know, there's a lot of guys who are also going out there. So it's just a great way to connect to in the offseason, really. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And and in terms of what your day-to-day is right now, as you're gearing up to add more innings in 2023 for your second full season, how does your day-to-day now compare to what you were doing this time last year? Yeah, um, I mean, it's not too far off, honestly. I, I was going to the same facility last year, but obviously that was kind of a different offseason. It was a little shorter. Actually, it was a little longer. And then – that was kind of my first time being in that big league, like training setting, you know, constantly for an off season at least. And yeah, now that I'm back, I mean, I'm kind of still in the same program, just started throwing bullpens not too long ago. Um, but yeah, I'm throwing, lifting five days a week, getting after it. They got some good lifts going there. And uh, yeah, pretty much after that, I'm done by like one. I just be chilling at my grandparents. I'm staying at my grandparents right now in Arizona, but um yeah, no, we just hang out a lot, really. Killed time. Today, we got tamales going. So, after this, we're going to get the workshop up and open. But uh, it's a lot of free time. A lot of free time. Yeah, there you go. That, I mean, it's a good time to enjoy it after the grind of a very <laughs> long first full season. But let's get into yeah, that first okay. full season. You started out at St. Lucie. You ended the year at Brooklyn. You know, progressed in a way you, you hope a pitcher would in his first full season. But you ended with a three-two-five ERA. Uh, 119 innings, 145 strikeouts in that span. You were named Mets minor league pitcher of the year. What were your biggest takeaways about this season? Like, what did you learn about yourself having gone through 100 plus innings? Um, really, it's just execution. Um, I think when I came from college into that first little short season, or even the beginning of this past season, um, I kind of had in my head. You know, I wanted to do so well, and I didn't realize, you know, I was kind of putting too much pressure on myself to, you know, try to make the slider grosser or just something like that when really, you know, I had this stuff. It was just in terms of execution. So, I think mean, when I when I started in St. Lucie, was, I started off a little slow and it was honestly kind of rough for a bit, probably about a month. But, um, yeah, no, eventually I just found, found some mojo and just kept it rolling. But I think I just really learned – to mix better in zone, you know, throughout the counts and throughout uh, lineups. And yeah, like I said, it's really just execution, just getting a guy two strikes as quick as you can and then putting them away with that, that third or fourth pitch. And then just trying to keep it at that. Dom, you uh, have an interesting um, road to pro ball in that you were draft eligible a bunch of times from high school, Juco, uh, Dallas Baptist, and, and you finally get picked and go to the Mets organization. What was that like going through that process so many times? And when things really clicked your last year at DBU um, and you knew that you were going to be, you know, bumped up to where you eventually were in the third round, um, how did that uh, sort of affect, you know, your mentality going in that you know that you're good enough, but after waiting through all those times, now it's really here and it's here at a stage where you could be such a high selection. Yeah, no, it's been crazy, man. Um, I know. I just I feel like my story is different from a lot of guys. You know, I was kind of just a back end guy in high school. You know, I had chances to do well, but it just wasn't there yet. And um, yeah, it just wasn't consistent enough. And my work ethic wasn't there. I didn't feel like. And then JUCO, 
I think I just kind of got some independence, like being away from a group that I grew up playing with and like kind of figuring myself out as a starter because I didn't convert to a starter until like my freshman year of junior college. And, you know, just constantly going through the failures and taking out little stuff piece by piece. I think that's the biggest thing. But, yeah, like after my first year, yeah, that's when I was like, okay, I can maybe, you know, have, have a job at this for sure. And then after sophomore year, I was like, okay, just wasn't getting opportunities. And then after DBU, uh, my first year, that was the five, five-year-old draft because uh, of COVID. I pretty much got an offer, but it was a low ball. So, um, you know, I took my chances going back for that last year. And my family wanted me to finish my degree. I only had one more year. So did that. You know, I really just put it all on myself to figure it out and just really go out and shove like I know I could. And I, I saw it in the short season. That's why it was so aggravating because it was, it was just up, so up and down. And then finally getting that call and having to be from the Mets. I have a bunch of family from New York. and. It was just crazy. It was unreal. There was just so many things happening in my family and like just nothing, nothing really felt real. I'm still kind of coming back down on things, but you know, I'm still hoping for a lot more of those moments. Absolutely. When you get into a, a pro organization and you come in with a body of work that's already really impressive, obviously the Mets just want to enhance what you do. Um, what have those changes been like? Has there been much of a change or has it been more of adding, okay, here's what we want you to try here with the slider or the curveball or whatever it is. What has that process been like going from what made you successful at DBU and kind of evolving now as a pro guy? Um, I think – Honestly, a big a big key this year was utilizing the changeup at DBU. I was really just fastball slider, and you know, I was kind of my bread and butter. I was able to get away with that stuff in mid major. But um, yeah, as you move up in the levels, you see guys are better at canceling out of pitches and you know, you know, breaking down pitchers and how they work. And I think once I started challenging myself to throw the changeup in zone, um, I feel like I was really help, really helpful. I mean, I was able – I threw out the lefties most frequently, but I was able to work that on some righties too. And, I mean, because they know I had the fastball slider. Usually when a guy's a slider, they have feel for spin like a curveball too. So they kind of assume that's coming. But I feel like the changeup was really that distinguishing pitch that had something breaking the other way where I was like, okay, I really, you know, got to get – stick to approach here. And – yeah, I'd say that change up along with the fastball elevated. I know I got the IVB just executing that. I already knew that was, you know, a lethal factor for me. But like I said, just constantly executing your pitches and getting that fastball up there, even early in counts, um, it just really helped me get ahead of guys and yeah, working that change up. Dom, the, uh, your MLB.com scouting profile refers to you as a, quote, spin rate darling. And uh, spin rate is something that we've heard so much about, especially over the last 10 years or so. How much of spin rate is something that you do naturally and how much is something that can be developed or coached into a pitcher? I mean, obviously, there has to be some sort of natural aptitude with the way you throw that your spin rate is different from other guys. But how much can that be enhanced by what, uh, you know, your delivery is like or how you learn from a, a staff? Yeah, no, I think it definitely could be enhanced. And it's cool seeing, you know, all the tools they have now. They got like clean fuegos and the K clubs, and those all work on spin efficiency. But um, yeah, dude, God bless. Honestly, a lot of it's natural. Um, I think I came from being an outfielder 
I knew I had a good arm and I really like long tossing. And so I think just getting feel for spin that way. And then once I got to DBU is when like I learned, you know, that analytical side of it and how that plays into, you know, real time. And I realized, you know, kind of how practical that was and how that made me, uh, you know, a distinguishable pitcher. And then, you know, using it to my advantage, starting to pitch with it. But, um, yeah, honestly, I feel like just long toss, man. I really love to throw the crap out of a ball. And then uh, pull downs, that was another big thing. I learned to, like, throwing the crap out of a ball actually down and kind of just all was able to translate it well off the mound. And, yeah. I mean, you're making me want to play long toss now if that's what it's going to take. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I'll just go out to a Central Park from here. Um, yeah. But when you talk about DBU is when you really realize, like, hey, this is a strength of mine. How was that explained to you? Were they getting into the weeds of saying, like, your spin rate is 2,800 RPMs or whatever? Or was it just, hey, this is what it's doing, and this is why you're so good at it. Just keep working at that. Um, it's kind of somewhere in between. I mean, I really had no idea about – like I had, I, I knew what spin rate was, but I didn't, you know, what, know like the average, again, it'll be spin rate, you know, those type of metrics to like make you understand, you know, another metric. But um, like I said, in like JUCO and high school, I was getting told I had life on my ball and I was like, I'm starting to throw harder. That's awesome. But, you know, once I got to DBU, you know, I saw like there's kids on my team that threw harder than me still. And some of them are two seam, some are four seam, but, yeah, pretty much it all happened after, like, one of our first scrimmages my first year. Josh Hopper was there. He's He was a pitching coordinator with the Pirates now. But pretty much he called me over and he asked if I was using stuff. And I was like, no. He's like, what do you mean by stuff? I was like, some rosin. He's like, no, like, like sticky tack, you know. And I was like, no, I don't use that. Why? And then he was like, because these are, like, average, you know, spin, like how fast your ball spins. And he's like, this is where yours is at, which is – higher than a lot of people and then this ivb is a metric that's used to define ride pretty much and if you're above like you know 17 inches which is like about average you're elite and i was like ripping like 22 23s and he's like so that's crazy and i was like that is crazy i'd like to learn more about this and yeah just working with him um yeah he was able to work he was, he was able to show me drills to help out the spin efficiency like one of my favorite ones Hated it at the time, but in retrospect, it was great. It was like a black hole. It was this massive, like, PVC pipe, and we'd, like, set it up on a box, like, pretty much right at the top of the zone. And, like, I had to throw the ball through the tunnel without touching any of the piping, like, not just there. I had to run it through and hit the screen in the back, and that started, like, to change, like, my eyesight and, like, how I was throwing through things with the fastball and kind of just that all accumulated, and now we're steamrolling with it, really. Yeah, I mean, I I believe you when you say that that it was elite, but the twenty two inches that's that's crazy. Yeah, uh, that's also like the if, most uh, literal use of the term pitch tunneling I've ever heard. You're throwing it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Right. exactly. Yeah, that's amazing. Was like I thought, yeah, hundred percent. So it was really <laughs> cool. I think I think the biggest thing is just trying stuff. Like, not he had a lot of drills for us to try, and you know, not all of them. I mean, not all drills are for all pitchers, but you know, as you work and you go through routine you start to find stuff you like and stuff that hits those cues that you're working on and he just had a couple of those drills that work for me that was definitely one of them gotcha well let's turn towards 2023 now you were talking before about what you're doing this offseason building up for this second spring training 
what expectations do you have coming out of the gate, whether it's like where you're going to start 2023, because you got a healthy amount of starts at high A uh, last year. It feels like you're on you know, the doorstep of double A at the very least. Um, so what are your expectations going into the second spring? Um, I mean, it's hard to say. Yeah, I was hoping I got bumped up to double A maybe the end of last year for like some extended playoffs, but had thrown a lot. And yeah, they just gave me the off season. Um, I got to go to camp here in uh, January in a couple weeks. But yeah, I really don't know. But I know either way, you know, wherever I start, you know, there's probably going to be – there's going to be more eyes on me, you know, with, like, pretty much this accolade hanging over my head, it feels like. I don't know how they're going to advertise it going into season. But, you know, I assume people are going to expect more out of me this year than last year. But, I mean, I'm just going to go out with the same mindset. You know, I got my rocks. I'm going to stick to them. Execution is the name of the game. And pretty much all my stuff's better than these hitters. I just got to execute. That's literally all it is. Dom, uh, we opened by talking about, you know, the fact that your your squad just signed Carlos Correa and uh, they're in such a, a moment of big time contention right now. There mm-hmm. is a lot of excitement that comes along with that, especially for a fan base. I would think there is some anxiety that comes along when you're a player because, you know, kind of at any moment, especially as the trade deadline approaches over the summer or whatever it is, you know, you could be on the move. Do you, you know, and not just specifically you, but do you guys think about that much? Is there anxiety or is it just kind of like, obviously you can't control that. So it doesn't do a whole lot of good to think about it. What is sort of the mental balance there? You know, yeah, it's it's tough going through that first year and seeing like I had some I made some good homies this year and they ended up getting traded and you see how fast it all goes and you see how how fleeting just you know your position really is. So I feel like the best way to just block out that noise is just you know just being where your feet are. Like it's it was hard like mid season we had some trades going on. I'm like dang that could literally happen to us at any time. Um, so, I mean, you really just got to get out there and just try to do your job the best you can. Like you, you have zero say over it and there's always going to be Twitter rumors like, blah, blah, blah. I've had stuff sent to me. And I'm just like, how valid is it? Like, how valid is it? I'm not going to lose sleep over this. Like it happens, it happens. And, you know, there's usually an upside of getting traded, you know, it shows you have some value. So, um, yeah, kind of right, well, we'll- go about it. Well, just to go back to the Korea thing, was there a group text of like Mets prospects that was just going off this morning? <laughs> How did you hear about it? Yeah, no, I literally woke up and yeah, I saw one of our group chats like Korea, and I was like, what? And then I went on ESPN on the app and I saw that was like the top story. It's like, dang, because we were just talking about last night. Like I was playing, I was gaming with some of my buddies, and they're like, dang, you, you guys see <laughs> the Giants pulled that the offer from Korea, and they're like, that's nuts. And then we woke up, we're like, that's even more nuts. <laughs> now this yeah, affects me. Yeah. This is not like yeah, a small thing. This actually affects me. And I'm starting to, like, it's crazy. It's literally just dominoes pretty much. So, I mean, if I if I got blessed and I was able to see my name in that lineup starting a game, man, I would be freaking out, like, so excited. Um, but obviously, trades are part of the game. So, you know, whatever happens. We're chilling. It's crazy. It's crazy how it all works. And that's a that's definitely a blockbuster deal. Stop Get off I ask you one all question. Around. You are you're in Arizona right now. And we were talking yeah. before we started recording about how great it is, you know, to live in Arizona and have so much baseball infrastructure and all that. But then you get Absolutely. drafted by a team that's a grapefruit league team. Is that sort of annoying? Like you could have <laughs> you're you're around 
so many amazing spring training facilities yeah on february it's like all right i gotta go to florida not there's anything yeah. wrong with grapefruit league but like i would i'd be sort of annoyed no nah, it's definitely <laughs> close but so far like it's, it's <laughs> tough but thankfully i have some family out there as well my pops lives out there he moved out there in like 2019 and my sister's about to move out there as well but yeah obviously i was like dang that would have been cool to be <laughs> picked up by team spring training arizona you know i can just chill out but, um, you know, it's whatever. Like I said, I got family in New York, too. And so once I get up there, I'll be seeing them. And it all works out. It all works out. It could be worse. It is so humid out there. When I, when I have to go pitch out there, that I have to bring true. multiple <laughs> uniforms. That I have to bring multiple <laughs> uniforms. And my cleats have suds coming out of the shoelaces because they're so wet. It sucks. Well, you just said. Uh, with it. A lot of baby powder. Yeah, there you go. Uh, you just said you had family in, in New York, too. You mentioned that before. You did get a chance to pitch in Brooklyn this year, which is kind of like a unique experience that Mets prospects have. They get to pitch in the yeah, city in which they hope to exactly. pitch in someday. So between your family, between that experience, what did you learn about what it's like to be a New Yorker? It's sick. I mean, like, so my family's from Poughkeepsie, so they're about like an hour upstate from the city. But um yeah, whenever we'd go visit as kids, we'd do, like, a day, go to, like, Times Square, and I was like, yeah, it's, like, tourists everywhere, so, like, it's pretty chill, but, oh, yeah, once I was living out there, especially over on, like, Coney Island, you know, you see some creatures, you see some things, and it's a good time. It's fun. Like, it's, I love it, because it's, like, you, you see something new every day, and just, like, there's just this, like, type of energy the city has. It's always a good time, but. Yeah, obviously getting to pitch there was awesome. And, yeah, when we got the pitch at Hudson Valley, like I had so many family and friends come come over from Poughkeepsie because it's right over there. And then, uh, yeah, kind of as, as as we were out there, the, that Derek Jeter documentary came out and we're watching it. He's talking about his time in the city. And he's like, he's like, I always got told, you know, you're in the Big Apple, but you got to take small bites. And I was like, that's why the Mets put the first level in Brooklyn and then you go out of the city it's like oh I gotta get back to Queens now and so that's kind of where I'm at kind of where I'm at <laughs> that is awesome Tom Abel yeah. is the 12th ranked prospect in the New York Mets organization 2022 Mets minor league pitcher of the year and uh, a dude who is avoiding the arctic blast that is wrecking the rest of us across this continent uh mm -hmm. Dom, very jealous of the blue skies and the short sleeves <laughs> that you're wearing right now yeah. congrats on all success man uh best of luck in uh, in 2023 and beyond and we'll be watching thanks so much for the time i appreciate y'all it's only a kick a jump a block it's only a serve it's only a tackle a run it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Well, as we roll along here on the Show Before the Show podcast, the last 
edition of the show before the show podcast in the 2022 calendar year. I am joined here in the Ernie Banks conference room uh, by our own Benjamin Hill. Then first off, happy holidays. How are you? Thank you, Sam. Happy holiday to you as well. You and yours, as they say. Yes. Um, yeah, I'm doing pretty well. We're recording this a, a bit early to accommodate me, uh, the podcast diva, but today is uh, Tuesday, December 20th. And, uh, you know, I have vacation days to burn, or I don't want to say burn, savor, enjoy, cherish. I have vacation days to cherish. And uh, so today is my last day of uh, 2022. Well, hopefully not my last day of 2022, uh, you know, in life, but um, uh, working. Your last working day of 2022. My last working day of 2022. Well, that's good because I feel like we get you kind of at a retrospective time this being your last working day of 2022 but before i get into that you did say taking the rest of the rest of the week off what are you doing for the holiday you know for christmas coming up and the rest of the time off until uh, the new year <laughs> not well, you don't have to take me day by day but generally I will, but yeah i'll take you through the whole thing because uh as a child of divorce and a my um, partner jill uh, her parents are divorced and um Let's just say that when you add it all up, we have six Christmases to attend uh, or take part in with various uh, family factions and whatnot. So two of those are already uh, we've already done, but uh, have you know some family visits on the way. But to me, it's really important whenever possible to be home on Christmas, especially now that I have a, a small family, um, that for all the visits and for all the running around, which you know has its joys within that. Uh, I really like waking up in my own place with uh, my family on Christmas Day and just having a very low-key, slow morning. But, you know, my son is 21 months old. Um, well, he'll be 22 months on Christmas, uh, if we're getting specific. So nothing is really all that slow or low-key with him around, going nuts, yelling at everything. Uh, he'll love the wrapping paper more than the presents, which is why I didn't give him get him anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Why do you need to get your son a present when he's not even two? He doesn't care. Everybody else gives him stuff. Well, Harry, hopefully you're listening to this many years from now and trying to remember what your second Christmas was like. And you're just hearing your father say, I didn't get him anything. Um, but anyway. Yeah, that'll be part of the therapy. Yeah, Harry, at least we can pinpoint exactly when you said it on the record in front of a microphone. Uh, but like I was just saying before, you know, this being your last day of the year, kind of catching you at a retrospective time. I know we did this a little bit at the end of the season because the season had just ended, but you know, that was a few months ago. Things can kind of crystallize in your thinking and in your memory as to this question, how are you going to remember the 2022 minor league season? Or if you want to expand that out into the 2022 calendar year in minor league baseball, how do you think this is going to be remembered? Yeah. uh, Retrospective and introspective. Um, yeah, this is a topic we've touched on a few times, so uh, forgive me if I repeat myself a little bit, but um, I think we'll look at 2022 as a year of you know, relative normalcy after the two most abnormal years uh, in our lifetime, certainly for, for minor league baseball. I mean, I think for, an in, for the industry, and it was a very different industry, you know, 70, 80 years ago. I mean, you probably have to look back all the way to, you know, World War II and the havoc that that created you know all around the, the world and all sorts of levels but you know minor league baseball uh there were a lot of seasons without minor league baseball but i think uh since then minor league baseball so much change um you know leagues teams 
levels of play coming and going, but there's always been, you know, minor league baseball as a very active day in, day out, year in, year out thing for decades. And so to have that completely disrupted and then the industry completely restructured, um, you know, 2022 was, uh, you know, the first year we said, okay, things are kind of normal here. I think there is room for, uh, you know, increasing normalcy to come. Uh, you know, there was still a lot of staff turnover, still a lot of adjustment to, um, you know, the restructuring of the industry um, and everything that came with that and Major League Baseball being in, in full control. Still, you know, uh, some, not so much in 2022, but I, I think, you know, a lot of the, Attendance was down slightly, I think, compared to 2019, the last quote unquote normal season. And uh, I think some of that was even though COVID, of course, we're not saying it's gone, but COVID wasn't the day to day, you know, stop everything concern it had been in 2020 and, and huge swaths of 2021. But I do think psychologically, after so many people were sort of out of their rhythms of, you know, doing things like going to minor league baseball games, um, that, you know, attendance didn't completely get back to normal because I think, um, you know, everyone's been a little out of rhythm uh, for for the last several years. So 2022, I think on the whole was encouraging people getting used to things, uh, new realities, and, um, you know, building themselves back up for success. Um, I, I did, of course, you know, when you're at, a, at an event like the winter meetings, you're talking to lots of people, you get lots of perspectives. But I do sense, you know, a feeling of optimism right now going forward uh, with the sort of obviously the worst is in the rear view. And there's still plenty to grow and build upon heading into 2023. And, uh, you know, hopefully just see as vibrant an industry as possible. Of course, minor league baseball, but hopefully for baseball as a whole, you know, everyone, you know, independent, summer collegiate, uh, anywhere where you can go pay money. And in exchange for viewing a baseball game, um, you know, I just hope that continues to grow in 2023. Just the good of the game sounds corny, but um, I I think we want the sport of baseball to be as healthy as possible and uh, working towards that. So fingers crossed, knock on wood. This is a wood table right here. (laughs) Hearty, strong knock by me just there, but we're feeling okay. Yeah. And when you're talking about normal, I'm, I, I feel like people use that word as if there was a standard of normal, like something is normal. It's just something we're all not aspiring to be, but like you have an understanding of what normal is, but normal moves. It ebbs and flows with within the years, within the decades, whatever. But when you look back at this year, what felt most normal to you? Was there a moment in your travels? Was there a moment in talking to somebody where it was, okay, maybe this isn't 2019, but this feels a little bit like that time again. Well, I think there were a lot of small moments like that uh, across the board. Um, You know, one that for whatever reason jumps into my mind, uh, kind of representative of, you know, feeling more normal. Um, In early June, I did a little New England trip, and uh, that included a stop at Hadlock Field, home of the Portland Sea Dogs. And, um, you know, I met up with our good friend and colleague, Josh Jackson, while we were up there, while I was up there. And uh, at that game, we were invited to take place in a between inning contest in which we, you know, dressed up as lobster men and uh, lobsters were flung at us uh, via lacrosse stick. And we had to hold each hold one side of a lobster trap and catch these lobsters that were being thrown at us. I mean, they were not living lobsters, Um, but just to be a, you know, at the game, you know, with someone I knew and a friend and not just kind of the lonely 
Ben's biz existence yeah. um, to feel like, hey, I'm here with somebody I know. And and this is what minor league baseball is about, a local, you know, who's showing me around a little bit to be back on the field before a between inning contest, because those have been few and far between. Uh, they didn't happen at all uh, in 2021 because of COVID restrictions. And now, you know, the pitch clock is a bit of a problem. You know, we've talked about the pitch clock. I think we all like it, but it's even less time to do the between inning contests and whatnot. Uh, but to be at a ballpark, um, you know, in a baseball loving community like Portland with uh, our friend Josh Jackson there, you know, wearing a silly costume, partaking in a silly activity, um, reminding me of, you know, a lot of the things I did, especially in my earlier days as quote unquote Ben's biz. Uh, that was one of those moments where I was like, wow, the more things change, the more they stay the same, you know, to the extent that I'm trying to catch lobsters flung from a lacrosse stick, you know, with Josh Jackson holding the other end of the trap. Uh, that to me, as weird as that example is also represents normalcy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and for me, you bringing up that story makes me think of our trip to Iowa, right. For the field of dreams. That wasn't normal. That's that not something we've not ne- normal season not, highlight though. Right. That's not something you and I have ever done together. We have not driven across half the country. Um, we've gone to games, together before, but they've mostly been in Brooklyn or in this specific area. But that kind of felt like something that was propelling things forward, right? It felt like here's a new thing that we're trying to do. It's not just repeat 2019 successes or catch that lightning in a bottle again. It's how can we propel things forward? How can we do new things? Um, Part of that for me was the MLB pipeline game of the month, going to places, talking to players, getting them on social media, um, turning that into more bits of content for MLB.com and MILB.com. But kind of speaking of that, propelling things forward in the the way we did with the Field of Dreams, and I hope we're able to do something like that again uh, with a special event in minor league baseball. But when you look forward at 2023, what are you kind of hoping is the next step? It's not just normalcy. It's how can we grow, like you were talking about before, grow the game, um, kind of capital G's when I say that, grow the game. Uh, And one thing you were talking about with me before was, this promo that Frisco just announced, which is kind of going backwards, but also it is a new thing. It's the bad choices night, which is just pulling something from the headlines and getting a little of that minor league pizzazz again. It's, it's a crazy little promo. It, it, you know, it might not bring out tons of people to the ballpark again, but it captures headlines again. And it's just like, Oh, this is the fun that minor league baseball can be. How do we kind of propel that forward in 2023? Yeah. I mean, absolutely. I think, um, you know, not to say that minor league baseball wasn't fun in 2021 and 2022, um, but, you know, there's a lot of staffing turnover. As I said before, there was a lot of, you know, getting used to MLB and being in full control. Um, there was adjusting to the pitch clock. You know, there was not being able to do, you know, a lot of promotions on field between innings. Uh, so minor league baseball honestly did feel less fun. And something I've been really missing are just for so much of my career, I started writing, you know, Ben's biz blog in 2007, uh, you know, started traveling in 2010 um, and just throughout, you know, covering minor league baseball, the business and culture thereof, you know, so much of it was just something would happen in the nation or the world, you know, some silly news story. Uh, and then it'd be just, you know, asking ourselves in the office, all right, what team's going to do something <laughs> here or me asking on Twitter, who's going to do something or me even suggesting an idea and sometimes being like, whoa, they're actually going to do that. Um, there was that spirit of spontaneity and just getting your name out there, uh, brainstorming in the office, having fun, um, you know, being ridiculous, being not afraid to fail. And I just have not seen much of that lately. So 
in and of itself, this promotion that the Frisco Rough Riders announced uh, yesterday, Monday, December 19th, you know, in the scheme of, you know, my career, minor league baseball in general, it's just a little blip. But for some reason, I was like, yes, <laughs> that's what we need. It's bad choices night. And it's inspired by this fan, uh, Corey Humans, who caught Aaron Judge's 60-second home run ball, had the option to immediately sell it for $3 million, did not. And then when it went to auction, it sold for $1.5 I mean, hey. He still did pretty well for himself. Corey is still did yeah. pretty well. He caught a ball and got you know over a million bucks. But, you know, this inspired the Frisco Rough Riders to say, let's have bad choices night, you know, at the ballpark, you know, quote unquote, in light of the disappointing sale price for Aaron Judge's 62nd home run baseball. So they didn't even announce a date for it. It just says uh, the date of the event has not been finalized. It will be during the height of summer in the Texas heat. In keeping with the spirit of the evening, the Rough Riders will be giving a glass of warm milk to anyone who wants to emulate Ron Burgundy's bad choice in the original Anchorman film. In addition, Leon Lett and Robin Ventura have been invited to throw out a ceremonial first pitch, you know, in honor of their bad choices they made in their sporting careers. Robin Ventura obviously um, was put in a headlock by 45-year-old Nolan Ryan. Leon Lett, I do have that Super Bowl memory. Uh, I believe he was... uh, he was running into the end zone for a touchdown, started to showboat, and uh, then the ball was stripped away before he got into the end well, zone. Well, isn't this – the picture is like him touching the ball that resulted in a fumble. Oh, up. so that's a different Leon, Leon Lett thing. Yeah. I'm thinking of when he got st- – in the Super Bowl, when he got stripped by Don Beebe, I want to say, because uh, he was showboating before he got into the end he zone. Was, he, like, put the ball down by his side yeah. uh, as he's running in, yeah. Wow. So, okay, maybe Leon Lett has, like, multiple uh, – uh, nothing again. Why are we piling on yeah. lead here? Well, it, it to take away if we're going to use a football example, let's just use the entire New England Patriots offense from the oh my goodness, the, yeah, talk about, about, about yeah, talk about bad offensive choices. coordinators, everybody just bad choices all around. I was in a movie and I missed the game, thankfully, and, and turned on my phone to multiple texts from my father and many people I'm close to, uh, saying things that I cannot repeat on this podcast. Um, so yeah, maybe they could throw out a first pitch. Too. Yeah, and that's a bad. They're, they're, obviously, the bad choices continue. Yeah, the Patriots made a, a series of bad choices uh, in that final play against the Raiders, and exactly. And so this promotion, bad choices night. You can keep brainstorming it. You can think of other things that are bad choices. By the time the Rough Riders get around to staging this at a TBD date in the Texas heat, you know how many how many people will be even thinking about the sale price of Aaron Judge's sixty second home run. You know, I used to call these press release promos in that it doesn't really matter sometimes what you actually do at the ballpark. It's just responding, 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 showing that you're a creative entity, that you're having fun, that you're willing to riff. And uh, we need so much more of that. You know, I do get concerned sometimes just how much staff turnover there was throughout, you know, 2020, 2021, um, you know, reduction of minor league teams. Uh, A lot of people in the industry left. And sometimes when I'm just working on something and I'm trying to contact a team, I look at the staff page and this is me who's made a living, you know, in minor covering minor league baseball. I often don't recognize a lot of the people. So it's nothing against a lot of the new employees, but really what I hope to see happen is that spirit of minor league baseball continuing uh, to, you know, a so-called next generation uh, so that we can continue to have fun uh, with these type of promotions that throughout the season, there will be theme nights, big and small, that have that kind of creative spirit. Because even if these promotions on an individual level don't do a huge amount you know, to drive revenue and to do all the really put butts in seats uh, and you know, do all the really important things that a minor league baseball team, you know, as, as, a, as a business that is, you know, it's bread and butter and 
reason to exist is live events, you know, maybe the game itself, you know, maybe these promotions don't do a huge amount, but I think having that spirit, having that level of creativity and what these little things mean for how you operate on the bigger picture, willing to take risks, willing to be ridiculous, willing to see something and say, Hey, let's just do this. That to me, a makes it a lot more fun to be in the industry and, you know, it needs as many great minds as it can get always. And B, it means that the fans who are paying attention really start to appreciate what their team and what these teams do. Um, so more bad choices. <laughs> <laughs> Good choices slash bad choices, yeah. I guess. All right. So, Ben, that's one very specific hope you have for the industry in 2023. And I'll get into maybe your specific predictions about the industry. But what other hopes do you have? for this season coming up. I know a lot of teams are putting together promo calendars now or already have, you know, some of the announcements will be coming up in the weeks and months ahead. There's also other changes coming to the game. We saw netting is expanding from foul pole to foul pole. That's not necessarily happening this year, but we might be seeing a little bit more of it as teams prep for the deadline on that. Um, When you look forward to 2023, you know, these bad choices nights are a great start. What else are you hoping comes to minor league baseball as an industry? Well, as an industry as a whole, um, you know, as many people going to minor league games and I think getting back to uh, 2019 attendance levels, you know, I think will be a goal of everyone, you know, getting back to those levels and exceeding them. Um, You know, of course, you might not exceed them in raw numbers because there are less teams, but I mean, per game average, team by team, league by league, getting back to the level they were before um, there was these massive changes that we talked about earlier. I mean, I think that is the main goal of the industry. I saw optimism regarding that at the winter meetings. Um, you know, there's a lot of, uh, you know, new sponsorships coming down the pike, um, new and continuing, you know, national in- initiatives that we've talked about a lot, you know, like Copa and the nine and, and that's Marvel, of thing. which and, be, and the Marvel yeah, yeah, defenders expanded. of the diamond. Uh, I think teams see a lot of room for growth with those sort of things. And if they can combine that with their own innovative, fresh, risk-taking marketing and as fans in the market, their own local markets, you know, kind of re-familiarize themselves or hope or even learn for the first time, you know, how fun it is to get out to a game. Uh, I think it really is about, um, you know, getting back to where things were and we can, you know, hopefully stop having conversations about like, where are we? We're almost there. Getting back to a so-called new normal uh, that really feels like a foundation that can be built upon. Yeah. And I think, I mean, minor league baseball is local. Like all of these teams are looking to have impacts in their communities, but I think these national initiatives and how they're continually expanding. I mean, we just mentioned Marvel, but the fact that that's going to become a much bigger deal in 2023 is, is going to be huge. Copa, obviously always looking for that to get bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, We were talking to our coworker, Michael Clare here in the office, and he was, talking about how you know people are picking up hats and asking what what is this hat well who does this belong to should i be following them i mean that's all it takes sometimes is to get a new fan from across the country to introduce a new hat so i'm looking forward to seeing that expand more and more uh in 2023 and like you said not just grow the game not just get more people out to the ballpark but like different people too i think that's going to be a huge thing um all right ben well we i did mention a prediction what is a prediction you have for 2023. Hmm. A prediction for 2023. I predict that minor league baseball will not quite reach those 2019 attendance numbers, but we'll get within 
a very close number overall, 95% or more. Okay. They will. And, and then I think we'll be at a point where we say, okay, the new baseline has been achieved. And uh, I would like to predict that for the industry uh, for myself. I would like to predict that. Um, I mean, I just keep being the greatest of all time. <laughs> No, there's always room for improvement. And yeah, I've been doing this job too long. No, not too long. No, uh, right. A long time. And uh, there is always room for improvement. You know, the, the ballpark guide projects, uh, you know, which is nearing completion now, you know, has been a cool new thing to be a part of. Uh, the weekly newsletter has been a cool thing to be a part of, you know, doing a you know trip with you, know, you and Kelsey all the way to Iowa uh, and covering things um, in, in that way as a group. Uh, you know, a standalone event, you know, that was, I think, something to be built upon, you know, not that game specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I, I just want to predict um, hopefully new ways of doing things, things for myself to, you know, to keep this fresh as well uh, in tandem with an industry that is uh, increasingly fun to write about, um, you know, because it hasn't been necessarily as fun as it had been in, in recent years. And I, I just think, you know, everybody wants that sense of, um, you know, where you're kind of carried along by the energy of it day to day, um, which I, is what I want to happen and what I'm going to predict will happen. I mean, that's that's when minor league baseball is at its best, right, is when it is unpredictable, when we do learn new things, whether I mean, I've long said it breakout prospects are my favorite types of prospects or guys you can study, uh, you know their tools for as long as you want. And then all of a sudden they do something new and exciting and that gets me more energized. And that's true of the industry too. That's true of baseball as a whole of like, Hey, here's this promo. I didn't see coming. Um, how are other teams going to try to copy that? Or is this going to become a copycat type thing or are teams going to be energized to try something new themselves? Uh, there's all sorts of ripple effects in this and ones we don't see coming, but I will put in this segment on this, Ben, let's flash forward to, I'll say December 19th, 2023, you and I are in a different conference room. We're having the same discussion about what did the 2023 season mean to us? What do you think we'll be talking about on that day? Well, I think uh, if our predictions come true, we'll just be uh, having the same Boasting conversation the time, and right? just saying uh, this is, is really what happened. Um you know, it's tough to say what exactly we'll be talking about. I mean, I'll have like a beard down to my knees and my hair is going to be completely gray at that point. Um, and hopefully we'll be talking about, um, you know, on site, all the places that we visited <laughs> in 2023, um, you know, that were, well, it's tough for me to go somewhere totally new right now, at least in, you know, the world of affiliated baseball. But um, I'd like to be looking back at places that I really reconnected with that I hadn't been to in eight, nine, 10 years or more, uh, I think would be what I would hope to be talking about having a real renewed sense and a, a kind of a renewed relationship with those teams, with those ballparks, with the people who work for them now uh, is what I would want to be looking back on and, and hoping, hopefully feeling, you know, I and we and in, in our own different ways in which we operate, you know, would be successful in, in that and feeling as connected as possible and feeling as optimistic as possible. All right. Well, I look forward to having that very optimistic conversation uh, at this time next year. Ben, before we let you go, thank you for everything this year. I, I do feel like it was a successful 2022 season on the podcast in general with our writing, with our with our coverage of this thing. Uh, it's always been a blast. And yeah, we'll uh, we'll catch you when both of us are back in 2023.
Absolutely, Sam. I'm going to enjoy my time, you know, away from you. No, no, that's, that's no, right. no, please do. But uh, yeah, you know, the podcast has always been a great thing about uh, 2022. It's been going on for a long time, but uh, I think being a little bit more involved with it this year, um, you know, working with you very regularly on it, learning to say regularly as quickly as possible. Uh, these have all been been great things. And, uh, you know, Sam Dykster, ladies and gentlemen, in case you don't know, is the hardest working man in show business, show business being MLB.com. I don't know about um, that. No, I do know about that. It, you know, um, you know, full disclosure, I think I had to give a little like feedback for your review, a peer feedback back. And I said, Sam, yeah, I said, Sam works too hard sometimes. Yeah. I said, I said, this guy needs a, a tropical vacation and a drink with an umbrella in it. Instead, and, instead, I went to Europe where it was 50 degrees. <laughs> exactly. December. You were even working on vacation, but it's a good trait and uh, good work. Well, good work by you too. Uh, now we will throw it to another person who does tremendous work here on the podcast. Here's Josh Jackson with the last ghost of the miners of the 2022 calendar year. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. We interrupt this podcast to bring you another thrilling edition of Ghosts of the Miners. Now, here's your correspondent and host, Joshua Jackson. Welcome back to Ghosts of the Miners, in which all of you out there in Radio Land must identify the legitimate historical ball club hiding amidst the fraudulent pair. One once inspired cheers and boos from the stands. The others inspire questions from the peanut gallery. In the last segment, I asked you which of the following minor league baseball teams did at one time exist. A. The Valhalla Thors. B. The Toledo Ironmen. C. The Walla Walla Wolverines. You might think I'm bending the truth, but the correct answer is B. The Toledo Ironmen. The Mud Hens moniker, widely known among minor league baseball fans today and made famous worldwide by the 1970s situation comedy television program MASH, dates back to the 19th century. So guessing that the Iron Men once represented Ohio's glass city required superhuman bravery. But not only did the Iron Men really play in Toledo at one point, but the marvels never ceased. So, too, did a short-lived 1885 club called the Avengers. 
assemble. As for the Iron Men, they were a force to be reckoned with in the American Association of 1916 to 1918, and in fact picked up the mantle of the Mud Hens, who flew the coop to Cleveland in 1914, only to return and peck away the avian identity and, what a stark difference, replace it with the industrial-oriented Iron Man. Managed by Toledo's own Roger Bresnahan, the Hall of Famer-to-be credited with inventing shin guards as the backstop who caught the likes of Christy Matheson and Rube Markwood, the Iron Man looked a bit rusty from the jump. Actually, it was more of a hop. The Toledo Club of 16 went 78 and 86 to finish 6 out of 8. And the Iron Man sunk even lower in 1917, despite Bresnahan's late July signing of former Yankee star hurler Russell Ford, who was thus reunited with one-time Yankees catcher Ed Sweeney. The famous old battery wouldn't spark, and Toledo lost 95 out of 152 games to finish dead last. If you found Toledo's 1917 season upsetting, the Iron Man of 18 are really going to get you bent out of shape. <laughs> By the time the American Association suspended operations on July 21st due to American involvement in the Great War, Bresnahan's boys had already managed to drop 54 games and win only 23. Last place with a winning percentage of 299, and they had a collective batting average of 221. After the guns of August went quiet and baseball broke out again in the association for 1919, the Toledo Club was rechristened the Mudhens. And that's how the Iron Men wore out. Now, on to the question for next time. Which of these teams made like a merry outlaw in the minors of yesteryear? A. The Fort Pierce Blackbeards. B. The Omaha Robin Hoods. C, the Columbus Magpie. Want to know the answer? Protect your property. Or tune to the next Ghosts of the Miners. But for now, you'll have to excuse me. My producer, Ben Hill, is putting tinsel on the tree, and he forgot to cut it down. <laughs> So huge thanks to Dom Hamill. Huge thanks to Benjamin Hill. Didn't get a chance to talk to Ben today. Sorry, Ben. I hope you enjoy the holidays. Huge thanks to Josh Jackson as well. Um, and that's uh, that's just about going to put a, a fitting holiday bow on our last episode of 2022. Uh, what do you got going on for the holidays, man? Yeah, I'm going home, going back to Massachusetts, um, seeing the kids on Christmas morning, which I've talked to a lot of people about this. It's just so much more fun when there are kids around on Christmas. I love my family very much. Like every day, every holiday I get to spend with them is great. But like seeing kids open up presents on Christmas morning uh, is just a whole, whole other uh, kettle of fish. And I'm super excited for them uh, to experience it. My nephew had a, it was not a joke, but it, it sounds like the perfect joke. He, uh, he came home from kindergarten the other day and he told his mom, my sister, uh, I think I want a suitcase for Christmas. My sister's like, it's the week before Christmas. You're all the presents are bought. You're, what are you talking about? And he's just like, well, I need a suitcase because the teacher told us today we're all going on vacation. <laughs> and I'm like, you are five years old and you're too smart for your own good. I love you. That's a great thing to say, but it's just so hilarious. Um, so we'll see if he gets that a suitcase awesome. on Sunday. That what are you doing? Uh, I'm actually just sticking around Denver. I ordinarily uh, travel out your way uh, to New York to spend it with uh, my sister and her family. But this time around, back to traveling 
with my my broadcasting schedule. So yeah, at Oregon State uh, today here on the 21st, getting home on the 22nd, just going to stick around uh, Denver with the lady. Uh, her family's coming to town, which will be really cool. And um, yeah, going to have a chill. Well, that's probably the wrong term to use because on Thursday in Denver, the wind chill could hit negative 50 degrees, which would be the coldest temperature ever recorded in Denver. Um, not looking forward to that, as you would imagine. But uh, I am excited to just like kind of take it easy. I honestly don't know, with the exception of the pandemic year, I don't know the last time that I spent uh, Christmas in my hometown. So I'm excited. It's ordinarily just filled with travel and all that kind of stuff. But I'm I'm kind of excited to, to be around and just have a, a small Christmas, which will be really cool. So um, that'll be good. Uh, home through New Year's, which will be good. Uh, my, my girlfriend's uh, a TCU alum. So she oh, is headed to Phoenix uh, to go to the, the college football uh, playoff semifinal. Uh, I can't go because I have a college basketball broadcast that day. Um, New Year's, like I'm not really a New Year's guy anyway because I'm lame. So like I'm fine with that. Uh, and, you know, I don't have like any huge New Year's plans ever. So I'm excited to be able to at least like watch those games. And then I'll probably be one of those people at 37 who just like watches the East Coast midnight celebration i'm like all right i'm i'm going to bed i'm out of here that's fine that's good to know that way i'm fine with it how much purple do you have in your uh wardrobe i'm guaranteeing that she is giving me tcu stuff for christmas guarantee okay because i i don't have uh any tcu gear uh and i have said like "Eh, you know i've worked with some tcu guys in the minors a hat would be cool um so i'm pretty sure that I'm that I'm gonna get. A, it's also a gift for you and a gift for her. So exactly, exactly. It's you know, all we're killing two birds with one stone. So, right. um, all right, man. Well, enjoy the holidays. Travel safely. All of you do the same. Everybody, be safe uh, for another year of the show before the show podcast. We thank you so much for uh, for your interest, your support over the last seven seven years, if you can believe it. And uh, for everybody. And MILB for Joshua Jackson, Benjamin Hill, Samuel Dykstra. My name is Tyler Mon. Uh, enjoy the holidays. We'll talk to you next year.